everyone, it is Stephanie Postles, the host of Up Next in Commerce. Before we get into our latest interview with another e-commerce leader, I wanted to let you know that the Up Next in Commerce podcast is now available for sponsorship for the first time ever. By partnering with us, your company will be connected to interviews with the most compelling founders, CEOs, VPs, and digital leaders in the world of commerce today. You have nothing to gain but thousands of followers and millions of impressions each and every month. Reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to see how your business can benefit from partnering with our team at Up Next in Commerce. One of the things that we invested in six or nine months ago was text message based subscription management. So you'd think, okay, your cancels are gonna go through the roof. What it actually did for us is it didn't increase cancels, but it decreased CX inbound. So it actually decreased our costs on the customer service, customer experience side of things because customers could then choose their own adventure. And philosophically, the customer who has a great experience, doesn't have to email support, all of that back and forth, they're probably more likely to come back later because there's less thrash, less risk of a negative experience. If done correctly, a two-headed strategy of driving sales to Amazon and your native website could yield huge dividends. But have you ever wondered What does that strategy actually look like? And how can you create a scenario where one builds off the other instead of cannibalizing each other? Well, the answer lies in assortment and pathways into the perfect brand experience. And Ben Knox is a bit of an expert in this area, and he came on the show to share his expertise. Ben earned his stripes while working on Red Bull's e-commerce strategy, and now he serves as the vice president of e-commerce and growth at Super Coffee, which is super delightful and delicious if you have not tried it already. According to Ben, brands need to come up with an assortment strategy that allows customers to get what they want, when they want it, and where they want it. But it also leads them back to the type of brand experience that you want them to have. He also detailed how beneficial a subscription model can be if it's done right. Plus, he gave some tips on how to get the most out of your texting strategies, aka SMS, as some may call it, and what is actually going on in the wild, wild west of customer acquisition. Enjoy the episode with Ben Knox. So just a quick heads up that my mic stopped working right at the beginning of this episode. I was literally like, hey, Ben, how's it going? And then there goes my mic. I don't know what happened. It's probably what happens when you don't update and restart your computer. I don't know. But I've already got a ton of heat from my audio engineer. I know, I know. Not great. But the interview was such a powerful one. Ben had so many great tips to share. So don't let the audio quality deter you. And until then, I'll do better next time. I promise. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. Respond quickly to changing customer needs with flexible e-commerce connected to marketing, sales, and service. Deliver intelligent commerce experiences your customers can trust across every channel. Together, we're ready for what's next in commerce. Learn more at salesforce.com commerce. Before we get started, I wanted to remind you to subscribe to our weekly e-commerce newsletter at mission.org slash upnextincommerce. It's amazing. It's great. You will learn a lot of good things. Go subscribe. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to Up Next in Commerce. This is your host, Stephanie Postles, co-founder and CEO at Mission.org. Today on the show, we have Ben Knox joining us. He's the Vice President of E-Commerce and Growth at Super Coffee. Ben, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to have you on. So you have a very 
long background in e-commerce. I feel like you're a veteran when I was looking through your profile and I was hoping you can kind of start there and go into, you know, where you've been and how you got here. Absolutely. I think that's a great foundational question. I started my career uh, at Red Bull uh, at the headquarters in Los Angeles. And, you know, looking back on it, I couldn't be more, more thankful uh, of a place to start my career. Obviously one of the most uh, exciting and powerful brands that, you know, CPG has seen in, in the United States, if not worldwide over the past several decades. So learned a lot there. Started in brand marketing, rotated into um, corporate strategy, uh, eventually distribution before finding my way into a special project on e-commerce. And at, at Red Bull at the time, uh, and even today, you know, the entirety of e-commerce really relates to Amazon for one reason or another. Red Bull only wants to sell merchandise and things like that in a direct consumer way. Everything else is, is for retail and Amazon would be considered there. So that was my first experience in e-commerce was leading a global Amazon strategy for Red Bull, starting in the United States and then exporting that to Western Europe, which was a really exciting opportunity. Great way to learn e-commerce from really the best, uh, the best and brightest Amazon. Spent a lot of time in Seattle working with the vendor team there and the related marketing teams, but eventually was really interested in going deeper, going deeper in particular on direct consumer, paid media, things like that. And so, you know, found my only real opportunity to do that was to leave, uh, leave that great brand, leave the company, you know, join what ended up being, you know, several other startups and companies since where I've gone deeper. All right. So what does your day-to-day look like at Super Coffee and what is Super Coffee? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Super Coffee is an enhanced coffee company playing uh, really in almost all consumer packaged goods, coffee categories. So we have bottled coffees, canned coffees that really taste like delicious frappuccinos, uh, but don't have uh, any of the calorie, sugar, or carbs, and other sort of added positive ingredients, uh, functional ingredients for health. Um, we also sell you know, a similar kind of super espresso product, like a, like a double shot espresso, more portable, more on the go, less liquid, same performance. But also, uh, as of last year, we've moved into um, ground coffee. Uh, with added vitamins and antioxidants, K-cup coffee pods. Uh, and then previous to that, we had been selling a creamer, um, super creamer, kind of similar, similar profile, very decadent, indulgent, but high on health, low on sugar and calories. And all of that kind of working together as a you know, one-stop coffee shop for the health-minded consumer. That's awesome. And then I saw, so the company was started by three brothers, right? Was it when they were in college? Yeah, it was uh, Jordan. Jordan uh, is the youngest brother, Jordan DeSico, and his brothers, Jake and Jim, his two older brothers, uh, founded the company together. Uh, Jordan actually formulated the first super coffee in his dorm room uh, and, you know, enjoyed it himself and then was sharing it with his, his former basketball team players. He was a college athlete and uh, kind of got an insight that, you know, there's really nothing like this out there. They, they didn't enjoy, you know, they enjoyed the flavor and the taste of Starbucks drinks and, and, and cafe drinks, but uh, not the way it made them feel, um, nor the, the sugar and the calories. And they also kind of liked the idea of energy drinks, but again, you know, not great ingredient profiles and, and tons of sugar and those things too. Uh, so they didn't want to put that in their body. And that's really why they started Super Coffee. And uh, like, like mentioned, you know, Jordan formulated it in his dorm room for the first time and then slowly but surely convinced his brothers to to join him on his mission of disrupting the coffee industry. And now 
you know, five, if not six years later, uh, here we are. And, and, uh, it's, it's really amazing what they've accomplished. Yeah, it's definitely huge progress. I saw that they were on shark tank back in 2017. And then now recently they received like investment from like big NBA stars and NFL quarterbacks. And then I think most recently the company is valued at like 200 million in June or something, which blows my mind for something yeah. to start in a dorm room. That's amazing. Yeah, let's not forget JLo and A-Rod are our investors and partners in the company. And, you know, it's uh, no big deal. No big deal, JLo. What up, girl? That's awesome. So obviously this company is awesome, which is why you're there. What does your day-to-day look like as, you know, the VP of e-commerce and growth? What do you do? Yeah, it's it's varied. Um, So overseeing the sales division of e-commerce, so the actual divisional P&L for Amazon, and then kind of that, uh, that long tail of, of third-party online retailers. Um, Thrive Market is a really awesome standout, actually a new partner of ours early this year and, and a really great partner so far. So we're really excited to go deeper on that relationship. Um, Walmart.com is, is in the mix there as well. So that's from a kind of a sales divisional responsibility. Um, that's kind of what we're, what we're working with, uh, but then also responsible for the 3PL um, who services all of our e-commerce order fulfillment. Uh, the 3PL also services our Amazon business. So is um, basically prep kitting and inbound logistics to Amazon for FBA. And they also do some managed services for us. On top of that, uh, also responsible for overseeing all of our uh, acquisition and retention marketing efforts uh, to really drive you know, both, both of those two strong horses. Mm-hmm. Cool. So what is the breakout between selling on Amazon, selling on your site, you know, selling on other websites? Like what does that breakout look like? Are you favoring one area right now or has it changed in the last year? The really interesting thing about it for us and, and, you know, this, it's funny now, you know, having done this with a few different brands, it's so brand specific kind of where your consumers uh, desire to shop from you. And, and for us, it's, it's, we really maintained a very consistent mix. So what you might often see is a brand uh, starts direct consumer, then they start moving into Amazon and people just, customers just shift into Amazon because every, everybody has a prime account these days. It's very easy, very dependable, um, great return policies, all of that. So there's a lot of trust there. You're already doing a lot of shopping there. So it, it oftentimes you'll just find uh, your customer base moving to Amazon in a somewhat, somewhat uncontrollable way. Mm-hmm. there's definitely things that you can do to uh, maintain a more healthy mix. And I would say a lot of those, you know, factors uh, and criteria are in place at super coffee. So what are some maybe tricks with selling with Amazon? Because, you know, we've had a lot of smaller brands on here, you know, D2C players who they've of course talked about like Amazon creating a white label version of their product. And mm-hmm. you know, we've also had a couple of people be like, there's nothing to worry about as long as your product is strong. Like, how do you guys think about selling on Amazon and like what opportunities are there that maybe people are missing? So there's a, a you know, many ways to skin the cat there. And again, it's, it's very kind of brand dependent on what's right. Uh, for us, our context is, you know, we really are a, a retail brand first. So we're now, I think in over 30,000 outlets across the United States, approaching a 60 to 65% ACV. So we're getting pretty ubiquitously available. Um, but obviously nothing compared to a Red Bull that, you know, at the time I left the company over 300,000 outlets. So you can kind of stumble and buy a Red Bull no matter where you are. Mm-hmm. Super coffee is a bit earlier in that life cycle. 
um, but still predominantly retail brand. I think relative to that um, and relative to our category, we really want the consumer to be able to have perfect availability of our products and to be able to purchase our products, you know, when, where, how often, from whom they like. And so from uh, this is leading into an assortment strategy, from an assortment perspective, maybe another brand might have only select assortment on Amazon. And then to get the full brand experience, you have to go to the website. So that's kind of a natural path toward, toward direct consumer. There's other ways that we do it. However, uh, we, we provide the best subscription experience and discount on our website. Um, so we actually offer subscription on a, on a limited basis. And when we do only the 5% funding amount on Amazon, whereas our website is 15%. And so naturally loyalists, people who are uh, really engaged with the brand will, will come over to us. Mm-hmm. Then there's other things like special bundles and, and different content and things like that. The website offers that, you know, Amazon simply can't. Are you oftentimes finding your customers on Amazon and then speaking to, to them in a way that brings them to your website afterwards? You're kind of like top of funnel, they come there and then you pull them in to create like a loyal customer base and retain them. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's like a master design for that to occur. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, it's almost though in practice, a bit of, you know, pushing uh, a boulder uphill in that people are kind of demonstrating an intent to purchase somewhere mm-hmm. that there's something there. Right. And, and so if they are starting to buy on Amazon, that's really an Amazon customer, mm-hmm. most likely, most likely. And then the, the factors that would drive somebody from Amazon to our website are a bit more natural and gradual per se. Mm-hmm. That being said, uh, we do nurture that behavior, but it's not like a really aggressive uh, offensive strategy that we've, that I would say we've unlocked, even though I would, would like to say that we've unlocked that uh, as a sort of massive arbitrage opportunity on the platform, we do find that people uh, tend to stay where they start. Yeah. I mean, what, what would the ideal state look like to you if you were to make it, you know, into like the perfect funnel, like how would you have it work if you could just choose? Semi-limited assortment on Amazon. Um, full assortment, full experience on the direct consumer website, and then, you know, different mechanics and communication strategies kind of in between that, you know, that, that Amazon experience, that kind of trial opportunity into uh, the direct consumer experience. Mm-hmm. Again, slightly different for us since we're, you know, a beverage, a consumable, uh, we're really kind of like on the go impulse product, retail product, um, but a brand that's maybe less oriented in that way uh, could more aggressively attack that type of opportunity. Yeah. Cool. And how do you guys think about subscriptions? Because that was a thing that I feel like everyone wanted, everyone to have subscriptions with their products. And then I feel like a lot of people realize, okay, that's actually not like best for our customers because they don't need a subscription for whatever we have, like, I don't know, t-shirts or something. And Mm -hmm. so a lot of people kind of drop that, you know, from their offering. And now it seems like it's kind of making a comeback, but only with certain products. So like, how did you guys think about that as part of your, you know, customer retention strategy? Yeah. Subscriptions for us are paramount, I would say. So again, a very consumable product. Ideally, you know, we are, you know, 50 to hundred percent of your coffee consumption. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously when you're on the go on the weekends, you're out with friends, things like that, you know, pop into coffee shops, you know, you can't, can't avoid that of course, but uh, relative to, especially kind of, you know, from being at home and uh, through the pandemic in the last nine months, uh, we really want to be that that sort of one source coffee solution for you at home, um, irrespective of of your on the go behaviors. 
And so for that subscription works perfectly on kind of that, that repeat purchase behavior. And it's great because you don't have to recruit or remind that, that shopper to come back and buy every single time they're running low. Mm -hmm. It's actually right. It's, it's, it's going to happen anyways, but then we give them the opportunity to say, Hey, you know, not right now, not quite through my last order, or I would give them the opportunity to say, Hey, I've, I've blazed through that order. Let me get my next one, you know, ASAP. So there's that, um, that opportunity to modulate on the consumer side of things uh, that makes it an ideal situation. I think the technology is not quite there yet to make that a perfect experience that, you know, 30 day cadence is not always perfect for the amount of units in a case. And the amount of units in a case is going to last you longer or, or less time uh, than it would me. So it's not perfect, but we are working on, on communication strategies and software and technology uh, to help sort of improve uh, that subscription experience for our, our customers. Yeah, I think that flexibility is key. I even think about something like Stitch Fix, where they say you can pause, you know, the orders, you can start it up again, like you can take a vacation from it, whatever you need to do. And I think that kind of like, it feels very risk-free of like, oh, you mean I can just try it once and then pause it for three months and then try it again. And it's so different from how it was, I would even say a year ago, where it felt very like cut and dry, like you're in it or you're not. Like it's six months in or you're, you know, you can't have it at all, which just has changed a lot. You're committed. Yeah. We, we, um, we offer ultimate flexibility. So you can, you can add a subscription to cart, check out, go in, log into your account and cancel that subscription, you know, five minutes later. Mm-hmm. And while, while that's not ideal, it's okay. You know, it's, yeah. it, that's okay. And uh, really it's more modeling less than in a way, the functional subscription itself, it's we're modeling a loyalty program in a sense. And so, you know, if our, if our subscription customers get 15% every order, we don't really care if they're actually on a subscription that auto bills them or they're managing that behavior on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, so we find ways to incentivize and, and give rewards and give backs, uh, regardless of the way that they are uh, actually uh, going about that. Yeah. What are some of the biggest driving forces with the program that work well? Like, is it just the cost savings that usually attracts people and then something else, you know, once they're in it or like, what do those incentives look like? Yeah, it's the, co- the cost savings. And then the stated flexibility, the money back guarantee, things like that kind of get them in and interested. Thereafter, uh, one of the things that you know, we invested in uh, six or nine months ago uh, was basically text message-based subscription management. Mm-hmm. And so essentially three days before a rebuild, uh, an automated text will go out and say, hey, your order of you know, fill in the blank uh, is set to ship in three days. Would you like to make any changes? Uh, gives them the opportunity to opt out, cancel, gives them the opportunity to say, ship it right away. Uh, thank God you messaged me. I'm ready for it now. They can add products uh, that are not even subscribable. So they can add seasonal one-time products to try things that might not even be subscribable. Um, they can modify quantity. They can do all kinds of stuff. And it's just through, you know, just as easy as a text message back and forth. So that's the experience that we're trying to create both a managed and, and automatic and dynamic concierge experience mm-hmm. for the customer uh, to really make that experience carefree, feel like they have uh, as much control as they want over the experience and to steer away from what you were mentioning, which is you know the old history of you opt into a subscription, you get a deal, and then it's like you try to go log in and cancel. You can't even figure out how to cancel the dang thing. Yeah. And uh, that's not the- service representatives and we'll see. Oh my gosh, yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> email us or yeah. it's like, okay, that's crazy. Um, so yeah. that's not, that's not the business that we're in. You know, we're in it to spread positivity, uh, create a great connection with our consumers because no, they're not just, you know, buying from us uh, on our website, they're buying from us in stores and they're, you know, they have family members and friends and, and uh, you know, that, that kind of experience goes a long way. And the, the opposite experience also goes a long way. Yep. Yeah, I agree. What did it look like after you implemented the SMS stuff? And then, you know, all of a sudden the customers can easily just be like, and cancel, like, what did the results look like? Was there anything surprising there? Yeah. So, you know, you'd think, okay, your cancels are going to go through the roof and, Mm -hmm. and um, because you give somebody such an easy way to cancel, uh, it's it's almost like a fear mindset rather than an opportunity mindset. And what it actually did for us is it didn't increase cancels, but it decreased CX inbound. So it actually decreased our costs uh, on the customer service, customer experience side of things, because customers could then yeah choose their own adventure, right. And self-service. And philosophically, we haven't gotten into data yet, but philosophically, right, the, the customer who has a great experience, doesn't have the email support, all of that back and forth, they're, they're probably more likely to come back later um, because yeah. there's less thrash, less risk of a, of a negative experience. So all in all, um, great from that perspective and, and great from the perspective of, of allowing people to you know, increase quantities, add new products, things like that. So AOV of the subscription has also increased. That's awesome. Is there anything else that you do in the text message arena where you're like, this is also working well or another way that you communicate with your customers outside of just, you know, your orders coming up from a subscription standpoint? Yeah, we do. We do marketing blasts. The other part of our text message strategy, and I like calling it a text strategy, not an SMS strategy. It's pretty much what everybody calls it, but I even see it sometimes where, where companies or brands uh, call it that to consumers. And I see it printed yeah. on packaging or it's like, send us an SMS. It's like, I don't know if any, any consumer knows what an SMS is. Only on your but, landline. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, relative to that, it's, two, it's actually two separate softwares that power it, um, which we would like to synthesize over time. Uh, so two separate phone numbers that these communications come from. So we let people know that this is your sort of subscription phone number. And then this is kind of the super coffee personality brand phone number. Mm-hmm. And on that second one, we really uh, sort of nurture that as a, a VIP audience. And so when we do a product launch, things like that, we let people know if they want early access uh, to the new products or early access to let's call it a Black Friday, Cyber Monday uh, sale or what have you, you're going to get a 24 hours heads up. Mm-hmm. to everybody else to get that early access if you're opted into our, our text message database. And uh, so that's largely how we use it. Get, give early access to things like that, product launches, seasonal products, and then the occasional uh, kind of motivational marketing push, things like that that are more conversational, less, you know, we're trying to sell you something. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a direction that we want to continue to go deeper on is, is driving personalization, driving value, uh, as opposed to asking so much. Uh, I think that's something the industry is striving for as well. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It definitely is a tricky channel too, where you see a lot of people doing it wrong. And I can see brands being hesitant to even try it out because you know they probably have experienced something not so great themselves. And they're like, mm. eh, I just don't want to get it wrong because I mean, I'm sure you get like the random text where you're like, I don't need that coupon right now i'm like in my bed watching bachelor which you know ben i know you're doing the same thing (laughs) i just don't need that right now it's not helpful well there's this like um i don't know who invented it It it's probably decades if not 100 years old but this concept of you know 
I think Gary Vaynerchuk might have popularized it, but this concept of, you know, give twice or give three times or five times before you ask for anything. Mm-hmm. So it's all about that, that giving value. And that's, that can be modeled through social media that can be modeled through email marketing. And that certainly I think uh, should be modeled in, in text, text messaging, but it's tough, you know, as, as marketers or as business owners, business operators, as soon as you stop being consumer, sometimes it's, it's hard. I think sometimes as, as the business owner or the operator, it's easy to forget what it's like being a consumer. Mm-hmm. Um, and slip into that that sales mindset, um, but I think it's important for us to all uh, empathize as much as possible with you know being on the other end, and really think about you know what you would like to receive from a brand as opposed to just another sort of promo. Yep, yeah, I definitely agree that once you start seeing, like when you're as a business owner seeing all this data, you start kind of it's easy to slip into that mindset to like few people like that, and you know especially if you're being measured by certain KPIs, and you're like, well, if I send out three random, you know, poems or jokes, you know, and my boss sees that they're going to wonder what I'm doing and I'm not going to explain it versus my marketing message, which is very, you know, kosher and like by the books might not perform as well, but less explaining, which is tricky. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I I think depending on where you are in your organization or who's listening to this, you know, doing this correctly could require a lot of education upward. Uh, or throughout the organization. And uh, it's tough because it's a long-term thing and it's it's building trust with the consumer, but you also have to build trust internally uh, to give yourself that runway to operate like this. Yeah. So there's there's no silver bullet here, but uh, something to strive for, for sure. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So what do you see right now when it comes to the customer acquisition landscape? Like what has so far 2021 looked like? Is it very different than you know prior years? Yeah, it's interesting. I think... There are two, two things happened last year. I think people started spending more time on the internet and on their devices as a result of the pandemic. So in a way, there's now more impressions, more reach, um, more impressions for sure. And then there was definitely a surge of, of people you know, buying more heavily online in certain categories than they ever were before. But I think you know, we're kind of moving toward the back end of that and, and reverting to a new mean or a new normal. And, you know, now we've also had, you know, nine months for, you know, advertisers and brands to catch up to starting to sell and advertise on the internet. And so there's a crowding from the brand side of things. And, and certainly over the last, you know, in Q4 always, but, but even, even now uh, in starting the year, things are just continuing to escalate and get, get more expensive on, on a, a CPM and, and CPR basis. So putting increasing pressures on, on cost per acquisition and, overall customer acquisition cost for a brand and a business that, you know, might have been uh, previously very reliant on paid digital advertising to find new customers. And so at least what we're focusing on is, is diversifying, not only just in channel, so testing obviously other, other advertising channels to acquire customers, but diversifying away from paid and more into uh, owned and earned and shared Obviously, longer-term investments, you know, things like a content marketing blog, or let's say, you know, diving deep and, and building an organic presence on TikTok, uh, which is a buzzword and everyone's very interested in right now. Pinterest is another area. Uh, there's, you know, Pinterest is really, you know, the third search engine of the internet. I would say, uh, behind Amazon and Google. Um, so that's, you know, something that's been hiding in plain sight for a long time. And uh, strategies like that to to nurture, you know, a healthier upper funnel. 
and then leveraging, you know, paid is maybe more of a, of a converting and a, a retargeting remarketing engine, uh, than a prospecting engine is probably, probably the, the best way forward, uh, from, from our perspective currently. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a really good viewpoint, especially when you think about what's happening around like the privacy rules and like, you know, yeah. what people have relied on for a long time when it came to Facebook ads and like what IOS is coming out with. It seems like a lot yeah. is changing there that brands are going to have to rethink how they find new customers, just like you're mentioning. 100%. So when you're talking about, you know, right now, there's also a lot of crowding from the brands who popped up, you know, who either came online that weren't or a lot of brand new D2C companies that all, you know, started last year. A lot of them did. How do you think about, you know, making sure that Super Coffee shows its value in a way when there's a lot of other, you know, coffee players popping up and keto brands and butters that you add to your coffee. It feels like the space mm. is getting very saturated. Like how do you, you know, keep showcasing your value and why you're so different than a lot, a lot of other brands? Yeah, hundred percent. You know, we've tested so many different creative strategies and this is, we'll talk about, you know, paid advertising for a second. Ultimately, we've, we've come down to a few key creative formats or, or messaging strategies on the paid side that work really well for us. One that we continue to hone is, is a comparison, um, comparison style ad, uh, which is, you know, putting us up against a really sort of delicious looking, uh, we'll call it a Starbucks or a Dunkin' Donuts cafe drink, you know, with foam and, and um, cream and, and uh, swirl and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then putting our product directly next to it and saying, hey, everything about this, these two things are the same, actually, uh, except for, and then we flash through the, the nutritional profile, the, the calories, the sugar, the carbs. Yep. That works really, really well. Uh, and that's, that's not only driving value for us uh, from an e-commerce perspective, but that's driving sort of global value for us all the way you know, through the omni-channel environment. So we're really, really happy about that type of uh, communication and that creative strategy. Very hardworking. I mean, that's really smart too, because you're instantly anchoring yourself to a brand that everyone already knows about. So you don't even have to explain like, it tastes like this. It's got the foamy, like you don't even have to worry about that when you anchor anchor yourself to, you know, a larger brand like that. Exactly. Exactly. It's interesting. It's a, it's a strategy that, you know, is being successfully used by, you know, the magic spoons of the world. Um, maybe a bit easier, right? Yeah, because you know we've all known for a long time now that cereal is not good for us. What? And uh, <laughs> all, but we love it, right? Mm-hmm. I grew up on cereal from the Midwest, and I, I subsisted off the cereal. So when I learned Magic Spoon came out and and Catalina Crunch and different brands like this, it was like no brainer. Like I am ready to try that because I've been dying to eat cereal for for a decade, and mm-hmm. I told myself I couldn't anymore. Yeah. You know, we were comparing it against like a, like a bottled product in the past, mm-hmm. uh, but less, maybe less like penetration, household penetration on those types of products. And what we've really found success in is actually comparing it to the, the cafe drinks. Mm-hmm. Maybe less people actually these days are, are getting frappuccinos than they did. So it's yeah. moving toward that, that, uh, that cereal example, mm-hmm. as opposed to, you know, bottled or canned coffee drinks, we might still in a way not know that those are super unhealthy for us. What are some other creatives like that that you guys are leaning into? Yeah, otherwise we really lean into um, UGC style creative, kind of raw stuff, uh, really focused on the product as hero. So our product, you know, we do have packaging that really distinguishes ourselves from the category. 
a lot of white in our packaging. We have that uh, slash, uh, that that angular slash for our packaging that really stands out. And what we found is kind of really just a standard, you know, iPhone style photo, tightly cropped bottle or can is is oriented such that you know the user can actually read it if they're scanning through the feed. And with some some situational context that could feel like it's a real person, right? It could be, it could actually be real UGC, could be manufactured UGC. Either way, it, it gives that sense of okay, I learned that this product in comparison to this other drink is a lot healthier for me. And then okay, on my second impression from the brand, I'm seeing that this is actually a real thing that exists in the world. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can see myself holding and consuming this product. Let me click through and give it a try. So that's kind of like the, the funnel, uh, in oversimplified, uh, how we think about things currently. Um, but both of those creative styles have been very hardworking for us historically. Yeah, I think that's such an important shift. I've even seen personally, like when I'm you know, on Instagram or TikTok and I see people using something or they have something in their room, you know, where I'm like, oh, that kind of looks like my living room, where I don't remember thinking that way a couple of years ago where I think mm-hmm. I was looking for that more, you know, like I really want something to look formal and official. Like it's only the real right. deal if you spend a lot of money on it. Where now, I mean, our best performing ads for mission are, you know, I'll be walking around with the iPhone doing the ad and like that movement yeah. and, you know, organic look does way better than anything that we've actually like produced, you know, in a formal fashion. Totally. Yeah. It's people are kind of, turning off to advertising these days and Mm -hmm. the more polished it looks, the worse it performs (laughs) in a way, Um, uh, which is so, so ironic. Yeah, I agree. So what, what channels are you most excited about? I mean, I know you mentioned like TikTok and Pinterest and, but then everyone's talking about TikTok. Like where are you guys? Yeah. Zoning in on for this coming year that you're like really excited about. Yeah, we're, um, we started investing pretty heavily in podcast advertising as of the start of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're advertising on shows like Armchair Expert and Pod Save America, yeah. uh, and Sibling Revelry, and and kind of a whole basket of great shows that mm-hmm. you know have have partners that represent our brand and and are a great fit for our audience. Um, so that's been going quite well, and that's exciting because it's supportive of the total business. Again, mm-hmm. kind of maybe moving from a singular e-commerce mindset to more of an omni-channel yeah. uh, view on on the world uh, and the market. So that's been great. We'll, we'll continue to invest there and kind of work that into our ongoing marketing mix, a bit more upper funnel. And then I think, yeah, as I mentioned, really thinking through a content marketing strategy holistically uh, as an upper funnel driver. And obviously there's different distribution channels, but really kind of owning, owning an editorial calendar, owning a perspective, leveraging our partners, uh, and then distributing that in the channels that are applicable and really bringing all of that, the, the world of Super Coffee to life through our partners and through content, uh, I think is going to be our bleeding edge uh, this year and really kind of right the ship relative to, you know, upper funnel, mid funnel, bottom funnel, and, you know, create that healthy balance that, you know, all of us are, are looking for in this industry. Yep. And the one thing I have been thinking about lately is how, you know, in the next coming years, all these brands are turning into essentially like media companies creating content. And everyone's going to be trying to pull the consumer back, you know, to their blogs, to their hubs. And it's like, instead of, you know, just going to Instagram feeds and seeing it on there, you're going to be pulling people back to your websites. I mean, how do you think about that landscape? Because it feels kind of crazy, you know, thinking about like hundreds of brands trying to be like, and come back to my blog to see 
the content right. that we're creating and you have to kind of go in a million different places to find it. Yeah. I think it puts an increasing pressure on, on, I almost say quality quality is in the eye of the beholder. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's again, like we mentioned quality, you know, a designer or a creative director of yesteryear is perfect, polished, detailed, dialed. Yeah. Whereas quality these days uh, is on a YouTube channel or in a TikTok account and from a mobile phone mm-hmm. and, and not really produced and published or, or, and polished. So I think it's, it's quality, it's relatability, it's authenticity and above and beyond all of that, it's, it's having something to say uh, that really speaks to somebody and makes them feel like they're engaging with a personality, uh, engaging with something that means something to them that makes them feel a certain way. And so it'll just put an increasing pressure on that, that confusing definition of quality for the consumer uh, to really create that connection and, and say, Hey, it's, it's worth subscribing to us directly as opposed to all these other, you know, hundred brands that offer, you know, X, Y, and Z to you in order to do that. Uh, you're going to stay focused and attention on us and, and not the rest of them. Yeah. Yeah. I think about the amount of newsletters that popped up, you know, this past year, um, where obviously that whole industry is very much like democratized and now anyone, you know, can make a newsletter and charge for it. I subscribed to quite a few of them, but then now I'm like, well, what I do, I mean, now they're coming in, I'm having to like send them into different categories and filter them. So they don't hit my inbox. And it makes me think that could be, you know, an eventual future for brands too. If you don't figure out how to, you know, write something, create something that someone is eager to open and actually wants to hear what you have to say and doesn't just drift over to like a corporate create marketing message over time. Yes, exactly. It just all goes back to, you know, giving and creating value, whether that's, and it's dependent on the brand, whether that's, you know, and then the Tim Ferriss mindset, which is, you know, tools, tips, practices, like all of that, that he yeah. gives his audience. That's why you go listen to Tim Ferriss. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's contextually different for, you know, a brand or for another personality in a podcast or, or what have you. So it's all about knowing what you want to say, knowing what, you know, uh, you have to give and share to the world and then giving as much of that as possible. I agree. All right. Well, let's shift over to the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. And this is where I ask a question and you give me an answer under 30 seconds. Okay. Exciting. Woo-hoo. <laughs> All right. What <laughs> one thing from 2020 do you hope sticks around throughout 2021? Wow. Not much. <laughs> I mean, that's why it's a hard question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I don't know if this is going to give a firm answer, but you know, a lot, a lot of people, you know, are of the belief that, you know, COVID accelerated, you know, uh, trends in technology, trends in consumer behavior that, you know, would have otherwise taken 10 years to happen. Uh, so I think, you know, as a, as a digital marketer, as an e-commerce professional, I think thankful and excited for all of the change relative to consumer behavior and, and sort of, you know, online commerce uh, that happened in, in 2020. And uh, I don't think we're going backwards on that. So excited and thankful for it and, and excited uh, for what's next. Yeah, like that. What's your favorite resource or resources to stay on top of like the e-commerce industry as a whole? Yeah, there's a, you know, obviously great podcasts uh, like yours. Um, I'm going to plug in, plug another podcast because I was on it. There you uh, go. The DTC, DTC podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's by Pilot House Labs. And, and speaking of newsletters, they've got a really great newsletter as well. So cool. check them out. 
What one thing do you not understand that you wish you did? I feel like I wish I understood almost, I don't feel like I understand anything ever (laughs) in a way, especially in this industry, everything's always changing. And, you know, you speak to somebody who has such high confidence over something that you feel like you don't know anything about. And that's just a constant feeling that you'll have. And so I think always maintaining an extreme curiosity over things, continuous learning, I'll never know it all. So I think that's just kind of in the DNA of somebody successful in, in this industry in e-commerce and, and digital um, is, is that needs to be baked in. Yeah, I agree. What's the last purchase you made online that you normally would not have bought online prior to 2020? Well, I'm a new dog dad. All right. Congrats. Um, What's your dog's name and what kind of dog is it? Her name is Honey Cute. Uh, because she's so sweet <laughs> and uh, she's a rescue pup about six months old and she's a lab mix. We think she's a lab mixed with a Jindo, which is a, a Korean breed. Okay. I'm like, I, yeah. Oh, I think I know what kind of dog that is. Okay. So it's almost, almost like a, like a Siberian Husky, yeah. a bit more slender. Yeah. Okay. So you uh, bought her offline dog. or you bought something for her offline? Well, I buy every, everything for her offline on, on the internet now, which I, you know, I've never bought the pet category before uh, really in my life and certainly not online. So that's opened me up to just a completely different world of, of industry. I mean, I think, I think, um, you know, the number one e-commerce category is vitamins and supplements. Number two is pet supplies. And number three might be like pet food and like over 50% of pet products are bought online. So pet is potentially the most endemic e-commerce category there is besides nutritional supplements. Yeah. All right, Ben. Well, this whole conversation has been a blast. Thanks so much for coming on and sharing your knowledge. Where can people find out more about you and Super Coffee? Yeah, Super Coffee is easy. Drinksupercoffee.com or just type us in the search bar, Super Coffee and Google or Amazon. You'll find your way to us. Myself, uh, really the only place that I exist, which is ironic, is on LinkedIn. Um, Don't really maintain any social profiles. I, I don't have a newsletter or a blog myself, but uh, feel free to find me on LinkedIn, make the connection, reach out and love to connect. Perfect, thanks so much, Ben. No, thanks, Stephanie, it's been great. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, you'll probably also love our e-commerce newsletter. To get it delivered straight to your inbox every week, sign up at mission.org slash upnextincommerce. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud and created by the team at mission.org. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.